Don't you love how uh, diverse the church is, uh, both in breadth, uh, you know, we come from all different backgrounds, but also depth. I'd love to hear that, 60 years married. You know, what a wonderful thing that is, you know, and then we, we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of the young leaders coming up. So good to see Jen, like, bringing a communion word and just young people just singing and it's just such a broad and diverse thing, the Church of God. And uh, we've we, we got to appreciate that um, because God does that for a purpose. A, he reaches everybody. No matter where you are, what situation you're in, uh, he, he can reach you. And the whole purpose of us coming together as a church is that we would see the outworking of God touching lives and bringing change. You know, we're here to be changed. Who's here to be changed? Who, who recognises they need change? Put both hands up, Homer. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Who knows that we, you know, we're, we're, we're a fallen race, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, God has called us. He, he desires us. And we've been preaching this, uh, this month and we're on a new theme called For the One. And uh, last week, Pastor Dan... Uh, Pastor Dan and Pastor Hannah are away for a couple of weeks. They're having a, a well-deserved holiday. Um, I don't know where they've gone. That's, oh, that's good. No, maybe we don't need to know where they've gone. But they're having a holiday. Uh, but last week he, he began this uh, For the One topic. What a fantastic message. Who was here last week and talking about the lost sheep? And I never knew Pastor Dan knew that much about sheep, uh, how to handle them, how to deal with them, how to eat them. Uh, he, he, he took us down all sorts of paths with the sheep. And uh, that was pretty, got a bit weird for a while, but um, it was a fantastic thing. And some of the, the points he brought out of that scripture, because we're talking really about grace. For the one is all about grace and how grace seeks us out. It's God seeking us out with his grace. And when he finds a target of grace, fantastic transformation happens. And that was beautiful how he talked about the shepherd going out after the one. He demonstrated really how grace actually works in its power. He did that by um, contrasting it to how we sometimes carry out God's grace. Quite differently, wasn't it? How we wanted to make an example of the sheep. We wanted to, you know, punish the sheep. But how God's grace is quite the opposite. How it brings uh, redemption, it brings restoration. It brings an outcome which is, which is better than when it began. And uh, so we began talking about that last week. Um, he's, he talked about the attractiveness of grace. You know, is the grace that we portray attractive? Is it, uh, will people be drawn to it? The grace that we are, because we, you know, what we are, we carry God's grace. And we, are, we can transmit God's grace. But is that attractive, the way that we carry it? So as we look into the stories about grace, about for the one, we're going to start to see God's heartbeat. And hopefully we can align our heartbeat to God's heartbeat on grace. And we can carry it out just as he would. Because that's the only effective way. And he ended up with saying grace always leads to joy. There's an outcome of grace and it's joy. At the end of the grace cycle, there is joy. And so that's a measure. 
as we look at the story today, we'll, we'll see a great outcome of joy in, in, in the walking of grace. But we're going to pick up uh, the theme today. You know, it's easy to limit this theme of grace and for the one as to talking about um, the unsaved, talking about the lost sheep who has never been in the pasture. But the thing about the lost sheep is he came out of the pasture with the others. And, and the message that we speak, and when we speak this month on the one, it's not just for those outside who don't know Jesus, but it's for you and me, for us who do know Jesus. Because, you know, he wants a full one experience with you and me every day. He wants to come out after us. Who knows that we need it every day, Phil? More than once. Uh, I talk him multiple times a day, Phil. He's got to come fetch you out, of the, out there in the wilderness. But um, it's very easy. You know, one of the really um, uh, sort of challenges of Christianity is, is this really deceptive shift into we're okay. You know, we're, we're, we're okay. We're the good ones. And uh, they need <laughs> they need the shepherd. They need the shepherd, you know. And it, it's a real subtle deception by the enemy. And we get into patterns of life and we get religious. We come to church, do the prayer meeting, read our Bible. But we can live in a place where we start to become self-righteous, self-sufficient, you know, and I'm all good. But so when we go through this message today, I want you to put yourself in the place of this person. And I want you to think about that, that Jesus comes after you with exactly the same vigor, determination as he did for this woman we're going to talk about today. And so, um, you know, when we see uh, that passage in, in last week was in Luke 15, but straight after that was a passage about the prodigal son. And who knows that prodigal son was all about a son who came from the house, the son who needed to return to the house, to a father who was looking and looking for him. And so I say that to say that each one of us, he's looking for you right now. Only God knows the state of your heart as you sit here today. Maybe you've been, this is the first time you've ever come to church. Maybe you've been here for 20 years. But you know, you need God to come and meet with you. That's why we build this atmosphere. That's why we we worship. That's why we come around the word that God will come and meet with you right now, right here in this place. So whatever you're thinking that whether you feel worthy or you don't, God wants to come after you this morning. You're the one. You're the one. I could start singing that song. You're the one. No, I don't know that one. Okay. All right. Don't do that. But you are the one as well as the one that needs to be reached outside of here, you too. So as we go through this today, I want you to put yourself in that same position. You know, as a Christian, you know, it's kind of like, who, who knows like that movie, Fifty First Dates? Who knows that movie? And every morning the guy wakes up and ah, today, oh, he sees this girl again and, you know, once courts her all day and meets her by the end of the day and then he forgets, right? But this is, um... oh, she forgets. <laughs> oh, that's, that's even better. That, I, was, I was thinking this morning, how does that work? Um, but it's actually better because she forgets. <laughs> Shut up, Whitey. No one's, 
You don't have the mic right now. And if you keep that up, you won't have it for a long time. <laughs> now, he's on next week. So um, you just shut up till next week. When I was growing up, shut up was a swear word. Who remembers that? So I think I just swore up here twice. Lucky Wendy's not here. Ooh. Or Pastor Dan. They're both the same. They're both people that yell at me. Yeah, that works better. So uh, 51st dates. So we're like the woman. Every morning we get up and we forget. We forget that Jesus has met us. Jesus has come and courted us. And Jesus has met us and we've had this wonderful encounter the day before. We get up the next morning and we just forget. And uh, we go on our way. We get overwhelmed with life's thoughts and pressures and things to do and vision, dreams. It overwhelms us and that memory goes far away. So as we speak this morning in his presence, we pray that he comes. It tells me in Lamentations uh, 3.22, it says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's the God we serve. He's faithful. He's faithful beyond our understanding of faithfulness. And great is his faithfulness. And so, you know, not because he has moved, but because we so easily lose focus. So when we're thinking about this for one, you know, um, I want us to, to, to think about those that the grace will reach beyond us, but also ourselves, that he draws us to himself. I'm going to pick up today in, in the scripture, John chapter 4. And reading from the New King James, because that's just what I wanted to use. Okay. And it's about a Samaritan woman who meets her Messiah. And, and a lot of, we, we, we would have all known this scripture. But let's read it and pull it apart today and see where it applies. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask the drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked for him, and you, he would have given you living water. The woman said to, her, said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, for the well is deep. But then do you, uh, sorry, where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again, 
nor come here to draw. So Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman then said to him, I have no husband. And then she, he, Jesus said to her, you have said well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father, but you will worship what you do not know. We, worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is. And true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You know, what a crazy encounter. Uh, you know, it is an... I want to walk through some of the dynamics of this encounter because it's absolutely, um, as we peel it away, you'll just see, this is a wonderful love story. The Bible is a love story from God. It's a set of love stories. He just writes to his people. He just goes out after his people. And, and just like the 51st dates, every day, God comes with a love story to you and me. God comes, as he did to this woman, with a love story. You know, we all love a good love story. Come on. We go to the movies, and it's lucky the movies are dark because us big hard guys cry. And, you know, if it was really bright, it's when the bright scene comes on and you're just trying to hide that. Was it just me? Oh, no, come on. <laughs> Phil, you'd cry a bit, wouldn't you? All the time. I love this honesty, all the time. And that's, you know, that was just in the Brady Bunch, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, you know, this, this is a wonderful love story unfolding. You know, um, as we peel back this meeting at the well, you know, God's spirit is there, you know, to encounter this woman, to draw her to himself. And I, I just love how, how, how this unfolds. You know, we've got to see the potential of a life-changing moment. This was a life-changing moment. This woman comes into this place really uh, burdened. She's obviously aware of her, uh, her history. Like she's had like five husbands. And she's middle of the day, in the middle of the heat of the day, she's up carton water from the well back to town. I mean, she is so downtrodden. She is... Like, she would not be feeling so, uh, you know, so good about herself, about her life, about her prospects. But who would know that she met Jesus Christ at the well? And what a different outcome. Let's walk through this. You know, the, 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 the thing as we look at this is that Jesus, uh, the, the, the text actually positions a few things about Jesus' authority. So he's out now, and, and Jesus, uh, by the fact that he replaced John with the baptism thing, and uh, not only that, delegated to his disciples, which gave forgiveness of sins, and, and you know, th he, he was in a place of authority. 
So here we see Jesus is out on the road, but coming with authority. Jesus comes with authority today, right here. And, uh, you know, when we, when we meet in this place, we're meeting under the authority, as Jen pointed out, of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is who we come to meet with. And he has authority to forgive your sins. He has authority to change your life. He has authority to heal your life. And so when he comes to this place, this meeting place, he has authority. You know, that was a significant meeting place. This place uh, called Sychar, um, not Psycho, Sychar, you know, this has been throughout the history of the Bible. If you have a look uh, there in Genesis 12, this is where God first appeared to Abram in Canaan and he renewed the promises of giving the land to him and his descendants. This is where Abram built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. And uh, this is where Joshua made a covenant with Israel, renewing their commitment to the Lord and proclaiming, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This, this was this, this place called Sychar. It's a significant place and it was a significant meeting place that God of all time met this five-husband, broken-down woman. So we've got from the top of all things, God above all gods, and this woman in this lowest position, and they met in this place. What a significant meeting place. Let me tell you, this is a significant meeting place right here, right now in your chair. The, the, the God of all gods is meeting you right now in your place, right here, today. Today, God meets with you. This is not, uh, this is not a, uh, something light. We don't take this lightly. We take this with so much awe that the God of heaven, the creator of all time, the word who became flesh, who dwelt amongst us, who died and rose again, who's been given the name above all names, will come and meet you right now in this place. Wow. Wow. I just thought it was C3 Corumban. I thought it was just that little factory down in the back woods of Corumban. Waters. Not even Corumban, it's Corumban. Waters. It's a significant place. It's an awe. The Holy Spirit's here right now. This is a place. I believe God is speaking to us right now. I believe he's meeting with us now. I believe that what transpired at the well will transpire right here, right now with you. And if you could only hear it, we'll see how we go through this, how it unfolds and how this lady meets the God of all heaven in this place. You know... Um, we have a, this is a significant place in a number of ways. You know, this, uh, it's just a building in Corumban. However, the lives and the prayers and the giving and the longevity for generations before us have built this place. Just as Abram and Jacob have been through that place, people have been through here and now have died are in heaven that prayed and gave and served and built this place. And it's not the physical aspect of the place, but there's a price of this meeting place. There was a price of that meeting place. And it was significant. It's significant here. That we, we, we come into this place, and that's why there's such, that's why there's such uh, the power of the Holy Spirit here right now. 
We're not just meeting down the bus shed. We're not just, there's a place that, that lives have paid for. Jesus Christ went first. Others have gone and built this place. You know why? Because God would prepare that for you. God would do all of that for you. If you were the only one on the earth that sinned, Jesus Christ would have still come down and hung on the cross for you. Nobody else but just you. And as soon as we get, start to get a revelation of this, things can change in our world. Things can change in how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we see our God. And uh, that's the revelation. That's the dynamic that will, will change you out of just a, a, a worldly, earthly thinking into eternal thinking. And we have to shift into an eternal thinking. But you see, this meeting place, was, it was, it's controversial. It's controversial. It's confrontational as well. I just can't read. Um, it's confrontational. Let me say that this is not just an easy club. Let me tell you that when we come into this place, because the power of, the God, of God is here, it's confrontational. You're going to be challenged. Right now, I believe you're going to be challenged. And sitting in here and coming to his house of God, you'll be challenged. But it's a safe place. Let me tell you why. In that place where the well was, it was safe. If you read that part, it said here that... Um, where does it say that? Anyway, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It was just Jesus and her. Jesus wasn't about to string her out in front of everybody and just give it to her. And he doesn't do that to you here. When you come into this place, he will confront you, but it will be safe. It will be safe. It's one-on-one. -on -one. While we're in a crowd here, it's just a massive one-on-ones right here, right now. Jesus Christ talking to you. He's not going to make a fool of you. He's not going to embarrass you. He's not going to make shame. He hasn't come to bring shame. He's come to bring healing. He's come to fix your world. He's come to make you alive again. And that's what he did with this lady. It was so good. So good. You know, it says in James 4, it says, Draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. Goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, let me tell you that that's a journey you'll go through. When you come to God and, and he draws near to you, there's a, there's a response. And you'll go through that cycle. Because we, he wants us to cleanse our hands. He wants us to, to change our thinking. He doesn't want to just come and say, hey, it's all right, everything's going okay. No, that's the purpose of the meeting. When he came to the, the, the meeting with the woman at the well, he didn't want to just say, oh, on your way, everything's good. He wanted to change her world. He wants to change your world and my world. When we come into this presence, what has been built over generations as a time for this date, for this moment, he wants to change your world. He, wants to, he doesn't want you to leave the same, just happier. That's nothing. It's not about just leaving happy. You'll leave happy. You'll leave with joy. There's a difference between joy and happiness, and we can go over that later. But you'll leave with joy because you've met and encountered the living God. And he's changed your world. He's turned you around. He's made your world different than when you first came in. 
You know, we talk about the rhythms of grace, but the rhythms of grace call us to a response. You know, it's like the dance we talk about. Well, it calls you to dance. But in dance, you've got to respond, you know. Just, you know, you've, got to, you've actually got to respond. You can't just go on the dance floor and stand there. <laughs> Some do, she said. Oh, okay. We'll just register that for later. Not me. She wishes I did just that. Because <laughs> i got some crazy dancing. <laughs> Rhythms of grace require a response. Not just to stand there, not to go back out the way you came in. And this is what the, the, the confrontational aspect of this meeting place. You know, um, it was a safe place for him. Disciples had gone into the city. Jesus needed some alone time with the woman. He just needed to just have her opportunity, give her some space. As we see as this unfolds, you know, um, it, it's just a, just a wonderful thing how Jesus sort of, and he does this, he'll draw out that confession. He will draw out from you the acknowledgement that you need him. He's not going to hit you with a stick. He's not going to bash you to make you do this. But he's going to draw it out. Just in this wonderful Holy Spirit conversation. As you draw near to him, as it's just you and him, the word of God and the presence of God will draw out of you a response just like this woman. You know, um, Jesus answered her and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus emphasizes there's a gift here for you. Let me reiterate that today. You might have thought, I'm just off to church today. Let me tell you there's a gift here today for you from the God of all gods. He is a gift for you. And it's sitting here. It's up to you whether you pick up that gift or you leave it on the table, whether you just leave it and walk away. But there's a gift here for you today. There's a gift for people beyond you that you will pass on as well. So he reminds us of his authority to give you this gift. We're reminded of that as we came around communion. We, we, we know he has the authority to give us this gift. And regardless um, of how you think you're undeserved, you're not. That's, the, that's what he said about this. If you knew who was offering you this gift and you knew the gift of this, you know, that's, that's what he's saying to you and me today. And you, we, we, we pray before the service. And uh, there's a whole, everybody's welcome, but we pray. We pray that people, the eyes of people's hearts will be opened to see the glory of God, the wonder of God that's on offer here. This is not just doing time before lunch. This is the gift of God coming into us. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so good. He said, and then what's on offer here is totally change your world. He says, so, and Jesus answered and said to him, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So he's taken this local context of drinking out of the well, but given this whole answer for life. 
And I love this. Boom. This is the revelation in verse 15. The woman goes, boom. So give me this water that I might not thirst nor have to come here again. You see, Jesus wants to give you something where you don't have to come here again, not here again. We want you to come here again, uh, but not to that place where you're sitting right now. Not in that place in your head where you're sitting now. Not in that place in your spirit where you feel heavy and guilty and shame. He doesn't want you to sit there anymore. He wants to give you a living water that you will go to a new place. That you won't have to come back here again. Who wants that? Who wants that? I, I want to come back to that place, that thought, that fear, that anxiety. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to have to draw these buckets every day in the hot sun and walk back. I want new life. I want fresh vision. I want to see my future. I want to go to where God wants to take me. You know, I think uh, grace unlocks the way forward. And this is the key to unlocking here. See, Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. You know, that's the process, how grace works. Grace will draw us in, and it requires a response, like I was saying. And that whole confession is an important part of the process of grace. See, when the environment is set up, when the worship, worships, leaders, worshippers, worship people, them, lead us into worship, and then the word is spoken, the Holy Spirit's here, that is an environment to come clean. And that's what it means. That, that, that's what the outcome of this encounter is, is that we just come clean with Jesus. We come clean. He's not looking, he wasn't looking to, to, to smash her. But she said, I have no husband. He said, you're right. You've had five. You liar. <laughs> no, 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 he doesn't do that. <laughs> but he brings her that place where she... Just, just in the in the safety of that place, with the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus is there. The Word's there. The Word became flesh. He said, "Yep, yeah, you're right." And so, what unfolds there is that I don't see him uh, making a fool of her. I don't see him uh, chastising her. I don't see him um, telling her, you know. She's got to do 10 Hail Marys. I just see that the process of grace brings you to a point where it's obvious and it unfolds. And it requires a response. It required a response for her. See, Jesus was drawing it out, wasn't he? But she had to get to the point that says, I have no husband. See, he drew her. He's saying, you know, call your husband and come here. He'll draw it, but that response, that's the epicenter. That confession is the epicenter of the grace taking effect, having a working, changing her world. If she hadn't said that, if she hadn't acknowledged that, then she couldn't go forward. There was, it was just a blind date. It was dead end. But, 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 but all, everything was positioned. Everything was lined up and she came... And she said, I have no husband. Boom. Jesus just came in and just by confirming you've had five husbands, he wasn't bashing her. He's just saying, I know. 
He said, I know. Jesus says that to you and me, I know. I know, but I don't condemn you. And, and you know, that, that Holy Spirit just prodded for the confession and led her to that. It says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and deliver us from all unrighteousness. To deliver us from all unrighteousness. You see, it didn't matter whether it's five husbands, 25 husbands, deliver you from all unrighteousness. You know, that's the point. But this, this grace drew us to a place of decision, a place of response. And he draws that to you today, whether you are here for the first time and never walked with Jesus, or whether you've been walking with him for 20 years, he draws you to himself. And he draws you to that place of confessing before God. Because we carry stuff. Heck, we carry stuff. And we hold it down and we band-aid over it and we try to ignore it. But it's sin that stands between us and our relationship with God. You know, those who have accepted Christ, you know, we are on our journey of sanctification. We, we make mistakes and we will till he comes back. But you've got to understand this circle of grace that continually operates in your world every day. And you've got to respond. You've got to come to the well. You've got to meet him. And you've got to respond exactly when he draws you to, as you're here this morning. Our prayer is that you'll go to this new place. The outcome of grace, as I, as I finish... Thanks, Tinkles. The outcome of grace is that... We see, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. You know, uh, that's going to be the outcome as we go on this journey of grace, as we meet our Saviour at that place, at the well, and he draws from us that place of openness, that place of confession, that place of surrender. The outcome is that you're going to be a worshipper in spirit and in truth. Two, two parts of that. We don't have time to that today, but, you know, there's something much different to just singing those songs is worshipping God in the spirit. That's your spirit, worshipping his spirit, but in truth, nothing hidden. I'd hold nothing back. I'm there. I lay it out before you. That's truth. There's truth. There's no doors here. That's where God wants to get. That's what he seeks. It says that's what he seeks, those who will worship him in spirit and truth. And that's not, you know, that's just an outcome of grace. That's not like something you work at to be forgiven. No, it's a free gift and an outcome of grace. If you go in the cycle, if you go all the way, if you go all the way. And the last thing is you're going to testify that's the outcome of grace in your life is that you're going to testify of the goodness of God. I love my wife's testimony last week about the healing power of God. It has such an effect. When God has changed your world, you want to tell people about it. They want to know why you have such a hope because he's met me at the well. He's forgiven me. He's made me, he made me born again. He's made me healed a child of the most high God I walk in his favour
You know, this is the outcome of grace. But it comes to that junction. It comes to that T in the road where you come to God and you be open and you be honest and you lay it down. That's what she had to do. What a wonderful thing. She went back into town. Here's that woman, the one with five husbands. She became an influencer. She caused half the town to come out to see Jesus. And they got saved. What an, how amazing is that? No one was listening to her beforehand. No one even talked to her, let alone listened to what she had to say. But she went back with this outcome of grace on her world. And she testifies and she changes the town. If that's not God's plan for you and me, I don't know what is. That we would have a revelation of grace to the extent that it changes our world and we carry that to a lost world. That's God's, that's his model. That's his media model is carry that to the world. Amen.